Okay. Hey, everyone. So I hope all is well out there with all of you. And thanks again for listening. Well, so in this episode, I want to talk a bit about the notions of revenge and retribution and punishment. Because, of course, there's a pretty deep history to all of these things. I mean, um, for example, I think you could argue that the, the Christian Bible pretty much articulates and endorses a retributive notion of justice, if uh, justice is what you want to call it. Just think about the, the eye for an eye and the tooth for a tooth principle that we see being expressed in, among other places, Leviticus and Deuteronomy and Matthew. And uh, do we even have to mention the very, very odd book of Revelation? There, it's, uh, it's pretty clear that the vengeance motif runs deep. I mean, here's just uh, one line from it. It goes, God has judged the great harlot who corrupted the earth with her fornication, and he has avenged on her the blood of his servants. Ouch. Anyway, whatever the details, again, I think it's pretty uncontroversial to say that in the biblical tradition, there seems to be a kind of inbuilt law of recompense in the universe that says people deserve the sort of equal punishment they inflict on others. Okay, but you know what? I didn't really want to talk about this stuff in the context of religion. But rather, what I wanted to do was to take a brief look at some thinkers that really, really oppose the notion of revenge and punishment, and that see in them all sorts of problems. So, here's the first thinker I have in mind. And uh, he's no stranger to this podcast, as you regular and loyal listeners know. It's Nietzsche. Okay, so... Although Nietzsche's account of punishment or retribution is complex and sometimes maybe even seemingly contradictory, he is definitely opposed to it, at least in large part. I mean, let's just consider a few of the things he has to say about it. That should be enough to see which way he leans on the topic. So, first of all, Nietzsche calls people who inflict their revenge through punishment, he calls them monsters. And he says that punishment is more offensive than the original crime itself. For example, he says this. He says, quote, Punishment does not cleanse the criminal. It's no atonement. And it pollutes more than the crime does. End of quote. And um, what's more, according to Nietzsche, what punishment often does is it disguises expressions of things like cowardly violence and resentment. In other words, it sanctifies poisonous emotions and excuses malicious actions by pretending that it's all done with a good conscience. Punishment is a rationalization for cruelty. That's why Nietzsche makes Zarathustra say that we should mistrust those who have this strong impulse to punish. The fact that they want so much to punish says more about them than it does the perpetrator. That's to say, those who want to punish often take some secret pleasure in it, 
and they get off on the power they have over another person. But uh, you know what this is all about, according to Nietzsche, right? Yeah, it's all about weakness. People who punish like this, well, they simply haven't been able to overcome themselves. That's why they have no real sense of mercy for other people. At the end of the day, Nietzsche's ultimate counsel for us is to not become darker and weaker ourselves on the criminal's account. We should stop being a a vengeful snake. Instead, we should learn to raise ourselves higher than our instinct for revenge, which again, is really just the practice of the weak. Okay, well, so there's another philosopher, a contemporary one actually, who also has some very interesting things to say about revenge and punishment. And that is Martha Nussbaum at the University of Chicago. Actually, it all begins with the emotion of anger for her. It's when we resent that we've been wronged or damaged in some way that we get angry. And that usually causes us to want payback or retribution. And by payback or retribution, Nussbaum thinks we we usually mean something like this. We mean that by making our offender suffer, that will somehow restore to us what was taken from us. Now, although this sort of notion of payback is uh, deeply ingrained in us as humans, that's to say, it's natural and probably has an evolutionary basis, Nussbaum wants to argue that it's still deeply, deeply flawed. And that's because inflicting pain and suffering on the perpetrator just doesn't restore the thing that was lost to us. No, in fact, Nussbaum calls this sort of retributive outlook an empty form of magical thinking. That's to say, we think that the balance of the cosmos will somehow be restored if we just inflict equal pain on our aggressor. But, of course, that's just not true. Blood for blood will not bring back the dead. It just creates more death and more resentment and more sadness. It's bad for people and for society at large, she says. Nope, blood for blood doesn't assuage the pain the victim feels, nor does it somehow make good the damage done. And that's because the reality is, is that you can't change the past. You can only shape the future. And an eye for an eye payback doesn't help when you're doing that. Now, Speaking of shaping the future, this is where Nussbaum tries to make some constructive suggestions. What she wants is for our anger to take a a forward-looking path, not a backwards one. We have to try to channel it for the good. In other words, forget revenge and uh, retaliation. That's not healthy for us, nor good for anybody else. Nope. Let's take our anger and use that energy for something constructive in the future. One of the examples that she uses here is Martin Luther King. For all of the awful ills perpetrated upon African Americans, Martin Luther King could have gone the way of retributive payback, right? But how sane would that have been, Nussbaum asks. Nope. Instead, what King did is he got busy transforming his anger and his retributivism 
into work and hope and compassion, and ultimately into positive social change. That's how you best deal with your anger. Okay, let me leave Nussbaum here and just say a few words of my own. So it does seem right to me that we should leave revenge and vengeance largely behind and instead focus on things like forgiveness and reconciliation. Vengeance is, after all, problematic in so many ways. I mean, for starters, as it's been intimated, vengeance is stultifying. That's to say, it privileges the inflexible ideal of legal justice over genuine transformation and over moving on. And what's more, and this is not hard to see, vengeance almost always threatens to spiral into an unending cycle of violence. And lastly, what vengeance seems to do is it sacrifices real understanding for so-called justice. Well, that said, it seems to me that forgiveness and reconciliation can offer us so much more. I mean, forgiveness can reconnect us with our offender, and it can establish new relationships. And uh, reconciliation, well, that can ultimately help to reestablish a more humane world. Now, it's important to note that none of this means that we repress historical facts or don't hold people accountable. Of course, we need to remember the past, and we should not excuse offenders for their behavior. But we need to do all this with genuine understanding, while all the while affirming the future, not being chained to the past, pathologically fixated on the wrongs done to us. You know, speaking of being chained to the past, this reminds me of a thinker we've discussed before on this podcast, and that is Hannah Arant. You see, one thing Arant talks a lot about, especially in her book called The Human Condition, is the idea of forgiveness. Basically, what she says is that people not only make all sorts of innocent mistakes, but they just don't have the capacity to foresee all the consequences of their actions, some of which, of course, turn out to be terrible and, and very wrong. Now, the problem is, is that if we don't forgive them, Arant says, then they'll be forever haunted by that chain of consequences that was triggered by their initial action. They'll be stuck, unable to get back on their feet. So, what forgiveness does is it brings this chain to an end by constituting a new beginning. In other words, forgiveness has the incredibly miraculous power to undo what has been done, to reverse the irreversible, and, as Arant herself says, to undo the deeds of the past. Now, come on, isn't that just a little more understanding and a little more constructive than to just seek proportionate vengeance and to make others wholly and forever characterized by their previous mistakes. Let's release the cyclical reactions to insult and injury. Let's all share a little more in the one antidote to the irreversibility of time. That great antidote, forgiveness. Forgiveness.